The Global Democracy and Justice Lecture Series with Oded Gilad and Dina Freeman. Episode 3, Federalism and World Federalism. In these lectures, we talk a lot about world federalism as the most simple and straightforward form of global democracy. Today, I'm going to have a closer look at the concept of federalism. What is it? And why is it interesting to consider applying it to the whole world? So, what is federalism? Federalism is a form of political organization where governance is split into at least two levels. It's a form of what we can call multi-level governance. So instead of having one centralized state, federal systems have a power-sharing arrangement between at least two different levels of government. The central state, which governs the entire country in relation to issues of importance to everyone, and regional states or provinces, which govern certain types of policy, usually of immediate relevance to the people who live there. So the central state might make policy about, say, international trade or defense or citizenship, for example, while provincial states might control local health policy or education policy or matters of cultural significance. So all federations are different and arrange the different policies or competences, as they tend to be called, that exist at different levels according to their own needs. So for example, in the US and in Germany, there is one main language spoken across the whole federation, while in Switzerland and Ethiopia, different languages are spoken in different regional states. Or another example, environmental protection is mainly controlled by the central government in Malaysia, while in Nigeria, it is mainly controlled by the regional states. There's no one size fits all. As a very general rule of thumb, when it comes to economic policy, left-wing politicians tend to want more of this controlled at the central federal level, as this allows more redistribution between states and thus fosters greater economic equality. While those on the right tend to want more economic policy controlled at the local level, because this means more economic matters stay within the local state, and then there is no redistribution from richer states to poorer states. Most federations operate according to the principle of subsidiarity, meaning that power to decide on an issue is given to the lowest level that is able to appropriately deal with that issue. This is because federal systems are against the centralization of power, and they prefer to have as much power as possible at the lower levels. But as the previous example about economic policy shows, it's not always the case that devolving power to the lower levels will allow issues to be governed better. For some issues, it is important that they are governed at the central level. Federations will usually have a constitution which says which things are governed at the central level and which things are governed at the local or regional level. So as a general framework, it's very flexible and can be adapted to all sorts of different contexts and situations. And obviously, when designing a federation, it's really, really important to look at all the details carefully and decide on the design in a democratic way, because which competence you put at which level will have a huge impact. Now, it's interesting to have a quick look at the history of the idea of federalism and how it emerged, because this can give us some useful insights into what kinds of problems federalism solves and why it might be worth considering as a possible future political structure for the whole world. The idea of federalism first arose in Europe in the 18th century, 
around the same time as the idea of the centralised state was beginning to emerge. Before that, the political organisation of Europe was completely different to what we know today. There were no states in the modern sense. Instead, there was a complex system of many different kinds of governance arrangements which overlapped at different scales and in different areas. Power was divided between feudal lords, empires, free cities, the Catholic Church and others, and there were often competing claims to authority in any one place. Somehow this complicated system lasted for many hundreds of years, and only began to change after the Treaty of Westphalia in 1648, when the idea began to emerge that it would be better to have separate, fully sovereign states, where the central government controlled all of the power within that state. Over the next hundred or so years, modern states evolved, with strong centralised governments like we know today. In many cases, large strong states were created by joining together several smaller states or kingdoms. For example, the modern states of Italy and Germany emerged after the unification of several smaller states and kingdoms. Now it was around this time, and indeed during this process, that the idea of federalism began to emerge as a critique of the centralised state model and as a more flexible alternative. In many cases, small states and cities did not want to be swallowed up into larger states, but instead wanted to retain some of their autonomy. They wanted to preserve local cultures and languages. So during this period, there were many discussions about the pros and cons of different scales of governance and the pros and cons of unification or separation. And for many people, the idea of federalism offered a good balance some unification, some separation, some governance at a higher level and some at a lower level. It seemed to combine the advantages of uniting into a big and strong state, whilst also allowing a fair degree of local autonomy and the ability for local culture and local languages to flourish. However, despite all of these discussions, no federations were actually created in Europe at this time, and instead centralised states dominated the new political landscape. But not very long afterwards, the first federation was indeed formed. Not in Europe, but in the newly independent United States of America. The US Constitution of 1787 created the first federation, uniting the 13 former British colonies into one overarching political unit, whilst allowing each individual state to retain significant power and autonomy. Seeing the success of the American model, many other countries soon followed suit. Argentina became a federation in 1853, Canada in 1867, Brazil in 1889, Australia in 1901, Austria in 1920, India in 1949, and so on and so on and so on. Now, you might have heard of the term confederation. And you might be wondering if federation and confederation are the same thing. The answer is that they're not. There are some very important differences between the two. A confederation is a union of equal sovereign states that have signed a treaty to give some very limited power to the centre. All decisions must be agreed unanimously, everybody must agree, and the member states can leave the union at any time. Furthermore, a confederation unites the states as collective actors, as a country as a whole. It does not give any rights or responsibilities to individuals, 
and they remain citizens of their particular state, but they do not become citizens of the confederation. A federation, in contrast, is one overarching political unit, in which there is a system of divided powers, such that a central government and local provinces or states each have different policy responsibilities. A federation is a more permanent structure than a confederation, and it will have a constitution that determines which decisions are taken at which level. And in a federation, decisions are taken by a democratic majority, like in any kind of state. And very importantly, a federation is not only a union of states, it's also a union of individuals. Citizens of a federation have certain rights and responsibilities granted to them by the central federal level. These might include voting rights, the requirement to pay taxes, citizenship rights, and so on. And therefore, while confederations have only one legislative chamber, where all the states are represented, federations always have two chambers, one where states are represented and one where individuals are represented. So before the US became a federation, it initially tried to be a confederation. The Continental Congress of 1781 elaborated Articles of Confederation that gave only very limited power to the central government to declare war, make treaties, maintain an army and a navy, while the states remained largely separate and sovereign. But this system did not work very well. In particular, there were many economic problems concerning differences of economic policy between the states, which made it really difficult to support one common currency and therefore to make debt repayments that they needed to make after the war. And so after only a few years, in 1787, the Americans changed their minds and decided instead to unite more deeply and form a federation. Other confederations that have existed in history have also failed to survive into the modern era, such as the United Provinces of the Netherlands, which collapsed at the end of the 18th century, the Swiss Confederation, which collapsed in the middle of the 19th century, and the very short-lived German Bund, which also collapsed in the middle of the 19th century. The European Union, or EU, is currently an unusual hybrid with elements of both federation and confederation. It started off as an economic confederation, but over time has added elements that are typical of federations, such as a constitution and individual rights. But it still retains many elements of a confederation, such as the right of exit, the system of making treaties between the states, and the need to make major decisions unanimously. Maybe over time it will evolve fully into a federation. It's not clear at the moment. In the meantime, it's an interesting political laboratory for those of us who are interested in looking at different ways that states can integrate. So, if we turn back to federations, today around 30 of the world's 195 countries are federations. This may not sound very many, but since many of these federations are very large countries, together they account for some 40% of the world's population. In other words, almost half of the world's people are today governed under a federal political system. Furthermore, when we look at which states choose a federal structure and which choose a centralized structure, we find overwhelmingly that the larger the country, the more likely it is to be a federation. In fact, seven of the eight largest countries by area are federations. The United States, Canada, Brazil, Australia, Russia, 
India and Argentina. The only exception is China, the third largest state by area and the only one organized as a centralized unitary state. Now, the reason that large countries choose federalism is because federalism is an excellent form of political organization for large and complex societies. Because on one hand, it offers a good balance between centralized governance and local autonomy. And on the other hand, it also enables different peoples and ethnic groups to live side by side as equal citizens. This is also a reason that federalism might be a good political structure for the world as a whole. If we indeed look at the world as a whole, at the global level, we see that today it is basically organized as a very weak confederation with the United Nations at the center. Member states retain their full sovereignty and can choose, if they want, to enter into treaty-based agreements with regard to common global problems, such as peace and human rights. However, there is no power above the states to enforce their compliance with the treaties. And indeed, states can pull out of treaties at any time. So, as other confederations have found throughout history, it is virtually impossible to make and enforce common decisions. Furthermore, while states are represented in the General Assembly and other UN bodies, there is no chamber that represents individuals, and the UN is not able to grant individuals any rights or responsibilities. So the UN is rather powerless and remote from most people's lives. The global confederal system has also proved quite ineffective in solving common global problems, such as climate change, biodiversity loss, and economic inequality, amongst many, many others. And that's why many of us think that the way forward is to move from a global confederation to a global federation. The vision of world federalism is federation both up and down. The world would come together as a federation of states with a constitution, a parliament, and individual rights and responsibilities granted from the global level. And at the same time, member states would be able to reorganize themselves into federations of mini-states. So power would shift both upwards and downwards. And crucially, there would be no centralized, all-powerful world government. Instead, there would be a few key issues that would be governed at the global level. Climate policy seems the most obvious example, but we could also consider human rights, certain aspects of economic policy, health policy, and perhaps others. Putting these at the global level would enable us to improve redistribution from richer states to poorer ones, to reduce inequalities, and to create a more just world. Things like education policy, religious matters, language and cultural policy would most likely stay at the state level, or perhaps devolve even further down to the subnational state level, but very unlikely to be at the global level. So world federalism would allow a very high degree of cultural diversity while bringing us together on certain key matters that affect us all and enabling us to make decisions about them in a just and democratic way. The Global Democracy and Justice Lecture Series is also available as videos on YouTube and other platforms. If you found the ideas in this episode interesting, please share it.